Well, this is Richard C. Wilson, founder of the Family Office Club, and we're getting a lot of questions about family office tax structures. Some of these questions are about when you're setting up a family office, some are when you're structuring an investment as an investor, others are by people who are raising capital from family office, ultra wealthy investors. So I'm just going to address several of these different types of questions in one short video here. One thing I wanted to point out is that when people form, when professionals form a virtual family office or a single family office, they often will create a LLC for the family office entity, even if it's only investing for yourself and your own immediate family. This is because there might be legitimate family meetings to create your family charter document, to talk about your family values that are gonna help you drive your investment decisions or other communications between the family or travel that would be harder to write off or harder to justify without a formalized business entity and maybe meeting notes and other things that would go along with that. So many people do form a business entity, even for a single family office or a virtual family office. Uh, second thing is that many of our clients do have an LLC or some sort of legal formation around each of their assets. We have clients with well over 100 LLCs that they're overseeing. And of course they need to use attorneys and outside team members or have a um, outside consultants or a full-time team member just keeping track of all those regulatory filings and documents and deadlines that are needed. Uh, next, there is a practice within some families and there's a kosher, IRS kosher way to do this um, where you can make a loan to a family member and it's a favorable term, but it's close enough to market that it's not breaking the rules on giving away wealth to other family members. But if you give a loan and you have to talk to your compliance counsel on structuring this the right way, but this might open up a line of questioning for them. If you're an investor wanting to pass on wealth to someone else, you might be able to structure a loan that has very favorable terms, um, but is not going too far into a gray area. And it can be a way that then by the time that loan gets paid off at that low interest rate, if it's a highly appreciating asset, then perhaps it's paid for the loan payments itself, or perhaps it's grown greatly in value and it's helped transfer some of that wealth, um, maybe in a more tax efficient manner. Another strategy we see is depreciation. Um, there could be investors in a deal who need the appreciation, some who don't, some who can use it more while others can't use it as much. Some would rather have a little bit of cash in their pocket versus having the depreciation write off or bonus depreciation on equipment or tenant improvement on properties. Um, if Biden changes the tax laws, this could be affected depending on when you're watching this video. But the splitting up of who needs depreciation or not within different membership classes or having agreements of profit loss uh, allocations within the operating documents of a company is something that's related to family office uh, tax structuring and structuring of investments that's been coming up. Uh, doing cost segregation engineering studies on real estate properties that you own um, is something that I have done personally and a lot of our clients have done. If anyone needs help on that, navigating that route um, or ideas on navigating some of these tax strategies, feel free to reach out uh, to me directly or to our team and we can be helpful to you. The other two areas would be R&D tax credits. If you're in manufacturing, software programming uh, in the US or historical preservation tax credits um, at the state level, it's easier to buy and sell those tax credits, I understand, than at the federal level. Um, but these two areas, R&D tax credits and historical preservation credits for real estate are two areas that are often overlooked by most clients that we work with. And I also wanted to add that 
if you haven't dug into the tax code on 529 plans, most have written them off as a small allocation for future kids going to college. The uses of that is much more broad than college. It's more flexible. It helps get things out of your state while remaining them uh, effectively in your control. You can change who the beneficiary is. And many times withdrawing the money later, you're only taxed on the growth of the capital, not the whole lump sum of the capital. We have specific interviews on all of these tax topics as part of our 100 tax expert interview series this year that we are doing. We're also hosting a few tax strategy summits. And there's two ways to get access to all of this knowledge. Um, the first way, if you're a passive investor and you're just looking to allocate into deals, you're not raising a fund, you don't syndicate deals, you're not looking to raise capital for anything, then you can go to investorclub.com, register. It takes about three minutes to register. It's free to join and get access to our cash flowing investments through that platform while also getting access to our tax interview series. If you are raising capital, syndicating deals, or managing a fund, then please go to familyoffices.com and go to the join membership area and see all the benefits of membership, including our live events. We have 20 live events per year, as well as our recorded events and recorded tax expert interview series. So hope you find this helpful and hope some of these tips were something that you were thinking through right now or could help you or a client. Thanks for your time and thanks for following all of our work. Take care.